Branding Badass, and welcome to Branding Matters, a podcast I created and host to help you create brand equity. Branding Matters is brought to you by Genumark, one of North America's most trusted branded merch makers for over 40 years. Branded merchandise is one of the best ways to create brand awareness. Whether with your team or your fans, there's no better way to show your appreciation, connect with your audience, and build community than combining thoughtful design with great products that tell your brand story. When you partner with Genumark, you get more. More personalized service, more creativity, more innovative solutions, and more importantly, you get it all from a talented team of branding experts who have the experience and know-how to make your job easier and best of all, more fun. From promotional products, custom uniforms and clothing, to sports co-branding, web stores and warehousing, Genumark makes it happen. And being ISO certified, you can rest assured ethical sourcing and sustainability are front and center. Genumark is big enough to matter, but small enough to care. So if you're looking for the right partner to help you create brand awareness, email brandingmatters at genumark.com to start your next project today. That's brandingmatters at G-E-N-U-M-A-R-K dot com. Speaking of Genumark, I'm excited to share that today I'm sitting down with the new CEO of Genumark, Mitch Freed. Mitch isn't the first free to be on my show. As you may recall, I had his dad Mark on on one of my very first episodes. Since then, Mark has stepped down as CEO and has passed on the torch to his firstborn son. I invited Mitch to be a guest on my show today to talk about succession plans. I wanted to learn what finally led him to Genumark, and I was curious to get his point of view on the challenges that come with taking over a family business. Mitch, I'm really thrilled to have you here today. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you, Jolie. Fun to do this with you. Yes, it's great to see you. Before we get right into it, I want to talk a little bit about your background. I know that you went to Western University of Western Ontario, which is where I went as well. You went, when, what year did you graduate? I graduated in 2010. In 2010. Okay. And you yeah. did your undergrad there, is that right? Yeah, so I did my I did my undergrad there, uh, and I went to the Ivy Business School. Uh, graduated with an HBA, and, and that stands for what? HBA Honors of Bachelor Honors of uh, Business Administration. Right. Okay. And then, did you go right to um, grad school after that? Or you took some time off. No. So where I went to grad school, which was at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern in Chicago, like a lot of MBA programs in the states, you you definitely need work experience. So after my HBA, which was at Ivy, uh, I worked in management consulting for three and a half years, learned a lot, but knew pretty quickly that it wasn't going to be where I was going to spend my my whole career. So to be honest, I I had wanted to go to business school in the States for a long time, but then I I really used business school as as like a a stopgap, a way to reevaluate things and change career paths uh, really at the end of the day. So. So when you so when you finished uh, at Western and you said you got into management, was that did you work for a company or was that when you started your own company? I know you started your own company. Was that then? No, or no, was no, it no, no. So so I worked for a management consulting company. It was a company called Sacor Consulting, which was the largest independent Canadian consultancy strategy consultancy. Yeah. It was about two hundred fifty consultants, I want to say. And then a couple of years into that experience, Sacor Consulting was acquired by KPMG. So I did about half my time at like a boutique type of firm. And then that was 
eaten up by a big four accounting firm. So the two experiences at quote unquote, the same place were extremely different. It was cool to be part of a, of a merger and see the, the positives and negatives and, and the challenges in managing integration. So then after that, so then you decided you got your experience and then you went and did your MBA, right? Correct. And, exactly. Okay. And then when you finished your MBA, tell me about that. Was that when you started your own business? Yes. So when I was in Chicago, I was doing some soul searching and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I ended up meeting somebody who was a speaker uh, in one of my classes. And he he had a fantastic career in the entertainment space. And I just really took a liking to him and and I uh, admired him and we got to know each other a little bit. And uh, we actually you, started a business together. Sorry, Mitch, you said in the entertainment space? That's what that's what the business was that I started after Kellogg. Yes. Oh, interesting. Can uh, you, I didn't know that. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So it was called Pop Experience. The idea there was that we would license pop culture brands and turn them into very like experiential uh, museum type exhibit experiences. And uh, we had gone down the path for a couple of years, made some good headway. But at the end of the day, we, we just had some issues with fundraising and and the ideas became very large, very quickly. And just for a number of different reasons, it, it didn't get any further than a couple of years pounding the pavement. But it was uh, an amazing <laughs> career experience for sure. And then after that experience is when I joined Genumark. That was three years after I graduated from business school. Okay. And then for whatever reasons that didn't work out and, you know, here you are today. But well, I'm curious to know, you know, a lot of founders out there, they always talk about how your failures really help you learn and grow, right? Oh, yeah. Based on what's happened. So do you mind sharing a little bit about what you learned from the failure of that business? Absolutely. Uh, let me try and articulate this as best I can. Listen, the, the biggest challenge at the end of the day was winding it down. You know, we had raised significant amount of capital from people that we that we knew within professional networks, personal networks. It was always a high risk venture. Anybody that we raised money from, you would have hoped understood that. And I would say we were very uh, not pleasantly surprised, but we were thrilled with the response at the end of the day because we were lucky that we had a we had a group of investors that really did understand that. But listen, like. I poured my heart and soul into that concept, that company for years. And I certainly thought it was going to work out. And I thought we were going to be successful. I wouldn't How have done it. How many years? It was, so it was mid 2014 until the beginning of 2017. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was two and a half years of, yeah. of a lot of stress and exciting times, ups and downs. And at the end of the day, the, the hardest part was still making those calls and saying we were going to wind it down. But that was really hard, right? having to go back to people and say, hey, listen, we're done. Uh, we've decided that it's best to move on. We're going to go our separate ways and we're going to give you back what, what we didn't put to use. Oh man, the anxiety of that whole experience was brutal. And then you look back and think, you know, if you work with great people, and in, in that scenario, I'm talking about the investor group, you almost got to evaluate it at the beginning and say, okay, there's a high probability that this isn't going to work out. How are they going to do if we lose all their money? But there was such a strong understanding from that group and you learn how important transparency is. And you learn how important being as open and honest as early as you can with that group of investors. Like, I don't think we surprised anybody when we made those phone calls and said, hey, this isn't working. We're, like, that's, I mean, that's a failure, right? But at the end of the day, it certainly wasn't a career failure. I don't feel that way at all. It, Huge it was, learning it was, experience, right? Oh, for it, you? Was, uh, it was amazing. What, 
Yeah. I mean, they say you can't succeed without failure. So if you had advice, if you had one word of advice to give, let's say, a founder out there who's listening, who is looking to raise capital, I mean, a lot of startups happening right now, what would you tell them? I would say go for it. I would say if you have an inkling, if it's something that you wanted to try and do in your lifetime, or if you just have this idea that you just got to see through, do whatever you got to do for yourself to manage yourself through the process because it's hard. Get yourself ready that there may be a failure around the corner. There's but, no guarantees, right? I mean, people no, are the best. But, yeah. but you know what would really stink is if I didn't have that experience and exactly. I was sort of doing what I'm doing now. And I, you know, if I was like, man, I wish I would have tried to start a company one day. That would have been a really cool experience. What if I would have done that? Like, I don't have that regret. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done it. I've tried it. It didn't land the way I wanted it to. But I would say if, if you have an inkling and you want to try something, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, yeah. You're only going to gain experience. And, you know, maybe you don't become the next Elon Musk, but whatever, you know, at least you'll yeah. have that experience and then you'll go on and do something else and you won't have that regret that, man, I, I wish I would have tried that. So uh, I would say just go for it, you know, just do the best you can. Like I said, work on yourself to make sure that you can handle the pressure. But once you've gotten yourself in check, run with it. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I love that advice. That's great advice. I'm reading, I actually just finished reading a book called The Power of Regret. And it's it's a very interesting study about how the, he talks about regret is the most common emotion after love worldwide, if you can believe it. And he talks about demographics and men and women. And one of the biggest regrets is, you know, not being bold and going, looking back in your life and not taking, and specifically business-wise, and not taking those risks and doing those things and saying, I wish I started my own business. Yeah, I mean, great. yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was the biggest learning. And that was the biggest, that was the best part about that experience. I did it. I tried it. I'm thrilled with where I am right now professionally. Yeah. And like, I and you probably learned life. a lot. Sure. So then tell me about the moment when you decided that you wanted to join the family business. How did that come about? Okay. Okay. So after that business was wrapped up or as it was wrapping up, I had to figure out what I wanted to do next. When I was in business school, before I met my partner in that venture, originally my plan was to start my own search fund which is basically a one man or one woman private equity fund where you look for one business to buy and run where you know very often it's it's a fresh uh, MBA graduate like I was that's like a very common place there's actually they call it the search fund mafia which is a group of 35 to 45 investors that literally their business model is chuck small checks to as many search funds as possible in the hopes that a couple of them hit big with the expectations that a few of them don't go anywhere. So raising the capital for a search is not that difficult, to be honest. And there's many businesses that have been bought by a search fund that have turned into fantastic stories. So my idea was to basically find a business and run it. And I was talking to a friend that was in the middle of running his own search fund. He was very close to making an acquisition. And you know, he said to me, you know, just to be clear, I don't have a family business at my fingertips. I'm doing this search because I want to run a business. I want to have some ownership piece in it. But you've got this business that's basically, you know, around the corner from you at your fingertips, whatever you want to call it. Like, why aren't you thinking about that? My initial response was, oh, well, you know, my dad and his team have things really figured out there. They have a lean management structure. I don't think there's any place for me there. And he you know, he kind of called BS on me and he said, you know, I think you have to have a good conversation with your dad because he only has a couple of options, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, he's either going to sell the business, which might not be his first choice, but he may have no choice or he's, you know, may have to find somebody 
to, to run it for the foreseeable future. And if it's someone he can trust, then, you know, maybe that can work and he can own it for a lot longer than if nobody was there. So I thought, okay, uh, that's pretty interesting. And so after that, so after it never that meeting, occurred to you at all before that no, conversation. No. And I, I am a little embarrassed to say that because it probably sounds a little bit obnoxious to, no, to say uh-huh. like, how is that possible? But it just like, it just, wasn't part of the conversation. I I don't know what to tell you. I think, you know, my dad always was super supportive in me figuring out my own path. There was never any pressure. I think personally, he felt like those were his two options. He was either going to sell it one day, or he was going to find some type of successor and either take part in it or have someone run it for him, whatever it was. But yeah, he didn't stress too much about it, I suppose. And yeah, there was no, there was no pressure there. So that being said, I knew tons about Mark. Like I had done several summer jobs at Mark. I'd worked in the warehouse. I had done data entry for our programs when I was in high school. Like I definitely knew the business, at least the basics of it. And we would talk about business all the time because we were both took a liking to business professionally. But yeah, it was only when I got pushed by a friend that it really turned into something real. And uh, the joke of the conversation was, he basically spewed out the same thing. Well, I got two options. I could either sell it in a few years or I'd have to find someone young that I trust. And That's amazing. So tell me about when you approached Mark about it. Mark is your dad, time. by the way, for people who don't know that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, no, so that's what I'm saying. Like after yeah. that meeting with my friend, I have such an open and honest relationship with my dad that I I just called him. Like I didn't I didn't stew on it for weeks on end or get nervous. I, like, like that we, day. I called him like an that hour min- after that. Yeah, like that's that, amazing. That, that lunch, because I just, what was I going to do? I was then going to like spend all this time potentially looking for a business, which could have been a year or two, or I could just get to the point and see if this made sense. And if he thought it could work and, you know, lo and behold, kind of made sense. And it was a conversation where, huh, maybe we should really think about this and explore this because it could be, it could really work for both of us. And that's really mm-hmm. how it's felt since then. That's amazing. So what what was his initial reaction? I mean, was he just so thrilled and touched by you calling him and asking him? I think you'd have to ask him. I don't, I don't know (laughs) that he, I don't know that he, uh, was, I'm sure he was. Maybe he probably just went into thought and he's a very methodical person as, as you know, Jolie, and he, he was open to it for sure. Yeah. And encouraging of it one way or the other, whether I decided like if I was going to join or not. And then, you know what? He set it up as like an exploratory thing because when I first joined GenuMark, I actually joined as a consultant. I didn't join with a specific role. I literally came in 2017. My initial plan was to talk to as many people as I could, which I basically did for three months without much of a mandate, to be honest. And then I officially joined in March and I took on a strategic initiatives role, but it was always meant to be inviting and open-ended and that's what I'm saying. Like, even when I joined, he wasn't like, okay, if you're coming, you have to be committed. It wasn't like that, which yeah. I think it, it is like that for a lot of people. It was like, okay, come dabble for a couple months, see if there's something here. And that's how we did it. And, Open you know, kept, yeah. And it kept the pressure off and it allowed me to get excited about it on my own. And, uh, that, oh, that's, that's how we great. did it. So wait, after that experience and when you decided you were going to do it, did you guys ever sit down and put together a formal succession plan as far as like how it was going to work? And No, um, we decided in 2019, at the end of 2019, that the beginning of 2022, which would basically mark my five years at the company, was a good time for me to step into the CEO role. So we only created like a timeline 
that was really just shared between the two of us in 2019. And then in 2021, about mid 2021, we started talking about how it would work with the executive team. And then we planned for it and then made the announcement in January of 2022. Yeah. Yeah, So talking about succession plans, um, you and I've talked about the show Succession, which is a huge success. And you said you're a big fan, right? I love Succession. Yeah. What do you love about it? Why do you think it's so popular and so many people love it? I love it too. Well, I mean, first of all, the characters in that show are outrageous, outrageous characters, right? You know, they say it's loosely based on Murdoch, right? Did you know that? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. But then there's denial, but then there's some that say, well, there's a little bit of truth in it. Oh, no, it has to be. Like you think (laughs) of a big family business, big media conglomerate. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch is is not originally American. He's, and it's the same with, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the character's name. I, I don't, I, I think he comes from the UK or something in the show, but. Yeah, Logan. Yeah, very, Dad is Logan. I can't Logan. remember his, his, the Logan. actor's I think name, but yeah. I think he's from, I think he's from Scotland in the show, or, right? Or, yeah. And I, mean, I was that, actually so surprised. I was surprised because I had no idea. And I remember watching the show and then I saw him interviewed and he had this really thick accent. And I was like, oh, totally. Well, I think I think they used his real accent. And I think he sort of he definitely lessens it for the role. Yeah. But, you know, they definitely embraced the fact that he wasn't originally American. Like it's the yeah. same. It's a Rupert Murdoch story. Really. Yeah. It's very similar. Wow. Uh, oh, I love that show. I think it's I think so. at the end of the day. Succession is a really interesting topic. There's so many interesting family dynamics at play, but I think the characters at the end of the day are just so crazy and it makes it so entertaining, which I think is also why it's so, like in our family, it's the opposite. It's my dad and then there's two of us. It just so happens that the other one of us isn't even in the business anymore. So it couldn't be more opposite. Like it's just so simple and easy and not like conflicts are so nothing in comparison. I mean, obviously. But you know what? You know what? So I, I totally agree with you. I mean, of course it's off the wall and it's crazy and I love all the characters, but it's interesting because I have three siblings and yes. even though it's we're nothing like that, I do like the way they sort of take the piss out of each other, right? Like that only siblings can do, right? So you'll yeah. see them act a certain way and then you're like, yeah, I do that with my brother or my sister or whatever, not as much, but I love that dynamic between the siblings. You know, some of it's ridiculous, but who's your favorite character? I love like the one that makes me laugh the most is uh, Kieran Culkin's character. What's oh the, yeah, what's his... totally. Oh, yeah. I lo- oh, Roman, uh, Roman, I think was his oh, name. Yeah, he, he kills me. <laughs> he kills me. He's yeah. definitely my favorite character. Hands, yeah. hands down. Hands down. Yeah. Well, clearly, I wonder why do you think it's such a popular show? And then another one is you know another one dealing with succession plans is Yellowstone. I know you say you've never watched that. That I love Yellowstone. Too. I hear it's and, so good. It's yeah. next on our. You know what? We we just had our third child, so we're my wife and I are very behind on our shows. So well, I recommend Yellowstone just because if you love Succession, you'll love it. It's great. It's really okay. just Succession in the in Montana. In what? You no, know? right? Western and, Western yeah. version. Yeah, and it's a lot Very of fun. Cool. So why do you think these shows about family succession plans are so popular? Oh, man, what a great question. I think it just makes for great character s- stories. And as an audience, you know, you love to see a good conflict unfold. And I don't know, maybe the family business setting is sort of like the perfect landscape for watching characters to act a certain way, but then be conniving behind the scenes. I mean, listen, you hear a lot of yeah. stories out there in the world of family businesses just completely imploding and the families falling apart as well. And I guess it makes for 
Interesting television. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe some people connect to it on a certain level. Who knows, right? (laughs) So continuing on that succession plan and what what experience you've been through, for people out there who are listening, whether they're people like your dad who are looking to leave their business or retire and have their child take over, what advice would you give to them based on your experience? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there are two options. The first is you can sell the business. If you don't have the right person in place, that's your son, daughter, whoever it is, maybe it's a niece, nephew, forcing it would probably be a disaster. Listen, I have people like I, there's someone in particular that I think of that has said to me, oh my gosh, family businesses are just a disaster. You know, don't, don't even go there. It's like, well, okay, that was your experience. There was potentially people at play that shouldn't have been in the professional seats that they shouldn't have been. And that's really how that story didn't go so well, but every story is a little bit different. And don't force it, I would say, because you got to be honest with yourself, with the next of kin. I mean, if it's not meant to be, and if it's not going to be a good fit, it's going to be a way bigger disaster than that first option of potentially selling the business. So I think you got to really evaluate if that person is a good fit or not for succession. And what I would say is, if you're unsure about it, there are professionals out there that can help you with that decision. You can have, I mean, you could also, you could put in place your own board, your own advisory board. There's also literally family business consultants that do this for a living and evaluate family dynamics and figure out what's the best for the family and the business. And they take both into account, like getting professional help to make these decisions is a great idea. We haven't really gone down that path yet. So far, it's been pretty simple, to be honest, to figure out the next steps. But listen, we may be in a position where we need to in the future. And I don't think we're afraid to to get help if we need to. So I would say if there's hesitation about the successors, get help, get another opinion. It's very easy to become biased and to be clouded in your ways. The ideal situation is that your son, daughter, niece, nephew, whoever takes over, like the pride in, in having that succeed is amazing. But oh boy, if it doesn't succeed, that could cause so many issues. So yeah. And hence why the TV shows are so popular because of all the issues, right? (laughs) Exactly. No, it's great to watch. It's not great to have in your own life. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's great advice. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that. And you're doing an awesome job, by the way. So your dad would be very proud. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit before we go, I want to talk a little bit about more about our business because, you know, we are in the branding business, right? I mean, ultimately we help our clients create brand awareness with very cool swag and ideas and uniforms and all the rest of it. So what is your, you know, I talk a lot when I have leaders on here and we talk a lot about personal brand stories and how that's so important in a business. And so, you know, you just shared your personal story and how do you see the future of Genumark and how are you going to instill your personal brand story into the future of the company? And where do you see the future of Genumark going? Because I mean, really, you're going to, this is going to be now your baby, right? Your dad's passing the baton on and saying, here you go. And it's going to transition. It's not going to happen overnight, obviously. But I'm just curious to get your, if you've even thought about it, maybe you haven't even thought about it, which is totally fine. Well, listen, I'm confident to put my twist on it, if you will, for sure. Right. Um, Something's been going really well with a company and then a new CEO comes in. How do you how do you maintain that going forward? Yeah. I think for me, I'm lucky. I happen to know the visionary of Genumark really, really well. <laughs> and I would say if you're the CEO coming in to replace another CEO and that's that company that you're now at the helm of 
was a really successful company and doing really good things, like get to know that person that you're replacing if you can. I realize that not it doesn't always work that way because there may be awkward things. Someone's let go, and then maybe you just you just can't. But so the obvious thing in January, okay, he's my dad. I know him really well. I understand sort of how he built this company and, and what it's all about. But I think where we've also been very successful is in building and maintaining Rightsleeve, which is a company that our family had nothing to do with until 2019. We knew a lot about them. That was not a company that we just that just sort of came across our desk. We're like, huh, that'd be interesting if we bought Rightsleeve. I mean, we knew Rightsleeve really well. We were friends with the Grams. We knew how they built that company, why they built that company, what was special about that company. And let's be real. We're a bigger company than Rightsleeve was. I'm sure a lot of people, when they heard that Genumark was buying Rightsleeve, they're like, oh man, Genumark's just going to eat Rightsleeve up. And it's going to be like a classic corporate you know, merger and they're going to, Rightsleeve's going to lose everything that makes them special. Like I, I'm tuning our own horn a little bit, but I think that because we understood the Rightsleeve brand so well and knew the founders so well and still are friends and still can talk to them and still call them when we have any questions, we haven't lost it. Like we really haven't. Like I don't think that a Rightsleeve client has felt the difference at all in terms of losing that brand uh, as they've continued to work with Rightsleeve under the Genumark umbrella. So for me, if you're going to maintain a brand, you got to know where it came from. You got to know the backstory. Knowing the people behind it is so important. And like I said, you can't always know those things, but if you can, you're going to be way more successful in maintaining a brand. And then in terms of infusing your personal brand story, I, I, I would say just I'm, I'm unabashedly me. Like I'm not scared of being who I am. I'm, I am confident in and what I'm all about. I told a ridiculous, I, I mean, I, I talked about that actually, you know, going into the next year or two or three, I just hope that everyone's going to bring their own personal selves to work every day. The example I gave is you're going to walk by my office. If you're in Toronto, I have this ridiculous stand up treadmill desk because I like to get my 10,000 steps a day. I don't care how silly I look. Uh, you know, why I'm on, on my treadmill yeah. while I'm walking while I'm talking like, I just don't care. It's who I am. I care about that. I care about health and wellness. I'm not trying to promote anything to anyone else. I'm just being me. And that's really how I plan on infusing myself because yeah. I'm just not going to be hiding it. And if, you know, if someone has to call a meeting at five o'clock, I'm going to tell them I can't do it because I got to bathe my kids. That's what I do. I, I got to get home because bath time is at 6 p.m. It doesn't really matter if it's a client or if it's uh, someone who's on my team. It's going to be me. And that's yes. how I plan on infusing me throughout the company. It's not about changing the company. It's just that I hope that our team members will really know who I am because I'm not going to be holding much back. No, I love that. I mean, you're basically maintaining the brand integrity of the business, but also infusing your own personal authenticity into it. So you're kind of bringing those two things together is how I hear what I hear what you just said. That's, a, that's um, how I tried to answer it. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> okay, I lied. I have one more question I just thought of I want to ask you. So as a child coming in and working with your dad, were you? was there anything in particular that you learned about your dad that you didn't know that might have surprised you from a business perspective? I, there, there wasn't a lot that I, like, if anything, it was just a lot of reinforcing the good qualities that I've always, that I've always seen in him. I think it was just reinforced in seeing him as a business leader, right? Like I always knew that he was super supportive to me and a really good listener. I think it's super cool that he's that way too, like at the company. I, I, I don't So he's not that, necessarily different at home than he is at work. He's the same. Not really. That's no. cool. That's good. No, a lot of people are very, very different, right? In their personal life and in their business life. And he's just the same. No, I find him like he's a good listener and he can be assertive when he has an opinion. And he's kind of like that 
at work and at home. Very similar. So, is it, I mean, maybe that's a surprise. Maybe that he wasn't so different uh, in sort of both environments and both atmospheres. But there weren't any major surprises. Maybe that wasn't the answer you're looking for. That is the truth. No, that's great. I love that. I, I was just curious because, you know, you <laughs> sort of have the behind the curtain scene, right? You see him at home and then you see him at the office. And, you know, because I, I always felt same thing. And I think you're the same way, too. Is And I'm like this. You know, what you see is what you get. And I'm the same whether I'm on my podcast or you and I are having a meeting to- or whatever. To- right? Totally. And, and yeah. listen, and that, that, that goes to your question of brand integrity. integrity. Like, look how it's worked for him. Like, he's yeah. the same person that, at work and at home home and look what the company's turned into so for me if, if nothing else it's just to reinforce that as long as we're authentic. professional we should be our authentic selves yeah. uh at work it just makes for a way better environment uh, i love know, that well that's a great way to end it because i i totally agree with that and and no i wasn't surprised that you said that it was actually nice to hear so well thank you mitch holy cow it's been it's gone by fast and uh sure. how was it yeah. what'd you think tons of fun? fun i mean yeah. I, it's so great seeing you uh, in this way, Julie. Like I, I remember you telling me when did you start the podcast? It was the beginning January first, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I remember you telling me that you were thinking about doing this. It's incredible how consistent you've been with this. Like I am just so blown away by how much time and how professional you are at, at conducting these conversations and interviews. I think your podcast is amazing, and uh, I'm I'm not surprised that it was fun to talk to you. But but yes, the hour just flew by, so it Aww, was it was great. Thank and you so much. Uh, I'm super proud that that you're representing yourself in this way. And it looks so good for our company to, as well. So thank you for putting in all the effort. Talk about a win-win. So it's great. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. I love it. It's fun. And I get to meet amazing people. And so it's, yeah, it's a for win-win, sure. I think, for everybody. So if people want to learn more about Mitch Freed, where can they find you? Are you on social media? What's the best way? Uh, I think like LinkedIn is where I'm the most active. I'm, I guess I'm everywhere. but. Twitter, I'm just scrolling. I'm not posting much. <laughs> uh, Facebook, oh gosh, I haven't been on Facebook in a long time. I'm 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 the most active on LinkedIn by far. Okay, know, and then if they want to find you, they can just go to genuinemark.com, right? Genuinemark.com, it's all there. Find yeah. my picture. You can find my LinkedIn. You can find my my phone number. You can find my email. <laughs> just about your address. <laughs> Don't show up at his uh, house. No, He's busy. He's got the, three kids. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. But no, right. I'm 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 around, so people can find me for sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you and learning all this backstory and everything else. And uh, hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jolie. Thanks all right. For, Take care. Uh, including me in your podcast. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate your support and I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want help getting your audience to fall in love with your brand, please feel free to send me a private message on LinkedIn or Instagram under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. I promise you I reply to all my messages. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson. Also me. So thanks again, and until next time... Here's to all you badasses out there.